Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. That's 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to make things better. Hello there. Welcome to today's program, uh, the last of uh, this school year, the last uh, collaborative problem-solving for parents, collaborative problem-solving at home. Uh, for this school year, we're going to, as you may know, take the summer off and um, be back again with this program in September. Um, it's been fun. Uh, we've had a lot of folks call in. We've had a lot of questions answered, and um, I'm hoping people have been feeling a lot of support. Naturally, this is not the only support mechanism that Lives in the Balance will be offering down the road, but, boy, this was a useful and fun one, I think. That's at least the feedback that I've been getting from people. So I'm hoping you've been finding that to be so. You know, we've had some... uh, heart-wrenching calls. A few weeks ago, we had our dad call in who has been really struggling to apply the model and has a kid who's still not doing too well, and we tried to help. We've had uh, people call in and talk about the difficulties they're having doing Plan B, and uh, I think that we were able to coach them through their difficulties and help. It's the name of the game, help and hope. Um, One of the goals of Lives in the Balance and this program is to help people who are parenting challenging kids feel that there's hope and feel that they're not alone out there. And, of course, there is hope. Um, But, yes, it sure does get lonely because, uh, well, the world doesn't quite think this way yet. More and more folks are starting to think this way and are starting to view challenging kids through more accurate, more compassionate, more productive lenses but we're not there yet, and that's what Lives in the Balance is for, to move the agenda forward and help as many people as possible learn about, implement collaborative problem solving. So this is the last 45 minutes of this school year for this program, and um, yes, that's a little sad, but um, we're going to be okay. We already have a caller, and as you already know, if you've listened to this program before, either live or in the archives, callers take priority on this program. So let me just get through some of the introductory stuff, and then we'll uh, we'll get to our first caller. Um, if you do have a question or comment, let me give you that call-in number again. It's 347-994-2981. Um, Now's the time to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need. Uh, Or, if you feel like it, just listen to other people who uh, are using the collaborative problem-solving approach and and learn from them. Um, If you don't want to call in, thank goodness, my email is up and running again. 
You know, you never know, you never realize how email dependent you've become until you lose your email, which somehow I managed to do yesterday for maybe uh, 22 hours. And uh, my goodness, completely upset the apple cart. If you don't want to call in, the email is up again. You can just send me a, a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.lives lives with a v in the balance.org. Let's we have two callers already. Okay, caller number 1, you're up. Uh hold on, I got to get you on the air here. You're on the air. The air, it's area code 723. And beyond that, let's not use any identifying information, names, ages, anything like that. How are you? I don't know if it's me. Are you calling me? The, it is you indeed. I'm phoning from his Okay, I'm speaking from Israel. We've spoken before. My name is Alan. Okay, and I'm name. Got, uh, Go ahead. Alan. Okay, it's, I'm speaking in general. Not, uh, uh, my first question is that a lot of problems are a matter of perception. It's not a matter of just finding a new solution or mutually satisfying solution, but it's, it's getting the kids, uh, it's changing the kids' perception. So if he feels uh, that he's so he's got, he goes to the swimming pool three times a week, right? He feels he should be going every day. You know, it's a matter of his, uh, it's how he perceives things, whereas uh, my perception would be different to his. It's not a matter of just uh, changing his perception or, you know, that's, my, that's, uh, that's basically the problem. A lot of problems are a matter of perception, not sort of finding a new, new solution. Well, I'm not positive that I completely agree there. Going to the pool three days a week versus going to the pool every day. Um, those, uh, truth is, I want to go to the pool every day is a solution, not a concern. Uh, nor, quite frankly, is it a perception necessarily, because he's either going three days or he's going every, so one's real and one's not. But the kid gets to own his own concern or perspective on that, and if he feels that three days a week isn't enough for whatever reason, we'd want to find out what he was thinking. Going every day is the solution, though. Feeling like he's not going enough, if that's what is driving the I want to go every day, that would be his concern or perspective. Uh, and truth is, um, whatever his concern or perspective is, we'd want to hear about it. But I just want to make clear that going to the pool every day is more his solution than it is his concern. No, but it's his perspective. Uh, you got to sort of cha uh, we, we were trying to bring his perspective that really going three times a week is, you know, all screen time or this, or this type of thing is. Uh, it's a certain, you know, his perception and perspective is that he should be getting what's good for him is, is so many hours a day, and our well, perception is, is coming up. Right. What I'm saying is that, and you're using the word perception, and I'm not positive whether you're using perception to refer to concerns or solutions, which is the preferred terminology for me, because then it separates oh, the two. Okay. Uh, a solution is I want to go every week, every, every day. A concern is I feel like I'm not getting enough exercise if I only go three days. I'd, I'd like to go more. A concern would be... Um, my friends go five days a week, and I'd like to see them five days a week instead of just three. Those are concerns. 
I'm not sure that the goal is to change the perception, but I'm not exactly sure whether your use of the word perception is referring to concerns or solutions. Okay. I'll give another example. So a kid wants uh, a kid wants uh, a guy whose birthday is coming up, and he sees a electrical guitar, and he he wants that one, right? So his concern is not that he wants uh, he wants you know he says he wants that one. It's his birthday, and it's far far too expensive. And also in terms of the way he's going about it, a lot of kids sort of uh, don't don't look at the process as uh, mutually satisfying or trying to you know satisfy each other's concern. They sort of go into the process as as negotiators. And my question is, how do you change that? Well, I think it depends a little bit on your definition of negotiating. Um, I don't think of negotiating as a dirty word. I also, or as a bad thing necessarily, I think that um, negotiating is something that takes place in the real world and that it's not a tragedy for kids to start refining their negotiation skills early on. But I do prefer to think of collaborative problem solving as working toward, I'm not sure that the word negotiating is exactly what collaborative problem solving is, I think it's two people working toward a mutually satisfactory solution. But once again, I'll give an ex- well, I don't know if we need another example, but I, I think that I want that guitar. Once again, that sounds like a solution to me, not a concern. So I'm a little bit worried that we may be still being confused about the difference between a concern, I want a guitar, and a solution, I want that guitar. No, but, but kids don't. When my uh, parents that I've discussed this with, they don't. They don't say, "Well, my concern is that," and they just. When you start talking about concerns, and then you sort of try and you're moving them on to sort of actually seeing your concern, that means they're going to start like giving up a bit, right? That means that they've got to give of themselves to uh, to sort of accommodate your concern as well. They sort of say, "No, I just want that," and they're not well, prepared to talk that- about. I think that like, that uh, is a kid who isn't yet very good at coming up with mutually satisfactory solutions or doesn't have quite the concept yet. There's a lot of kids who, uh, on first being exposed to collaborative problem solving, first of all, you're right, n- not, not many kids would say my concern is, but they're going to let you know what their concern is in one way or another. But they may not be using exactly those words. But I, I agree with you that there are lots of kids, also lots of adults, by the way, who aren't very good because they haven't had a whole lot of practice yet at coming up with solutions that are going to be mutually satisfactory. So it's not unusual for kids and adults to just stick with what it is that they said that they wanted. That's that's actually kind of typical. And the goal, of course, is to get them to stop thinking only about what it is that they want, their solution, and start getting in the mode of thinking about solutions that would be mutually satisfactory and therefore address the concerns of both parties. I do find this. um, It's going to be hard for the kid to start doing that without the adult to start setting the stage for it. And if adults are merely insisting on what they want, then unfortunately we're actually providing the kid with lots of training for doing the exact same thing. And then neither party is actually working toward solutions that are going to address the concerns of both parties. Because it's an expression of a value in a certain st- sense that you 
trying to sort of create a family, trying to work things out together. When most kids or parents have been working on uh, negotiation, just you know, getting my concern and trying to, you know, not thinking about the other person. You know, I, I think, I think that we've got to get that onto. We've got to sort of get that on the table that we work as a family and we try to support each other, and it's uh, we, we're in it together. And I'm, you must hear my concern, and I'm, I'm going to hear your concern. But when the kid goes in, he's sort of more in the goes into it more as a negotiator rather than uh, being collaborative. Well, when you're using that that's use of the word negotiate, and you know there are people who use, there are people that's not an uncommon use of the word negotiate. You know, I see these ads on airplanes where they're talking about uh, training uh, businessmen in negotiation skills, and I and I think it's um, I don't I don't remember the slogan, but I, I get the feeling that uh, some of those ads refer more to getting what you want than negotiating uh, solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory. So I agree with you completely. I will say this. There's lots of parents who've got some what I would call making up to do because, you know, the truth is if you've taught a kid that the only person whose concern you're interested in getting addressed is yours, then you'll teach a kid to be only interested in his own concern. Um, And so I find that we can, we can, you know, I had a, I've worked with a family in which they said, we've got to work together as a family. And then they said, uh, here's the way things are going to be. And uh, that's, you know, so di- people have different definitions of what they mean by family as well. And a lot of times what they mean by family isn't collaborative problem solving. Uh, their definition of family is I say jump, you say how high. Or I'm the king, this is my kingdom, uh, you all do what I say. So, you know, it's really kind of interesting what people mean by family. Uh, My goal, you know, for 20 years from now is the definition of families negotiating or families solving problems together is that it be done collaboratively, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, About uh, parents putting their concerns on the table, what I I find often happens that parents are so concerned or so eager to find a solution that the kid will accept that they don't really put their concerns on the table. And uh, it's just to finding something which the kid will accept and just uh, compromise all the way, uh, way down. Well, and, and uh, how much, kind of, how, how aggressively, how aggressively should we be putting our concerns on the table? You should be putting. You, how, how what should you be putting your concerns on the table? How aggressively should we be putting our concerns on the table? Well, you know, like, uh, uh, I find I'm most sure parents when they. Um, oh, you know, how, you know, what I find is that most parents you know, go into plan B and try to find it every time the kid says no, 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 and they sort of water down their demands and just so the kid will accept. Well, well even think, uh, tend to. That's not the goal of plan B. The goal, number one, isn't to necessarily find a solution that the kid will accept, and I'm not positive it's, if it's mostly your use of language here because. Um, it, it's a solution that truly is mutually satisfactory and realistic. But as you're presenting it, it sounds like in the scenario that you're giving, uh, number one, the goal is not to just keep keep uh, finding one so finally the kid will accept one. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been spending much more time talking about, and there's some programming on the Lives in the Balance website because we've covered this in some previous programs, um, is, you know, in prior years I hadn't talked a whole lot about the invitation step of Plan B. Um, and so uh, I realized that. Uh, I hadn't realized it before. So when I finally realized it, um, 
I started talking much more about the invitation. And the invitation is actually a crucial step. This is where the kid and adult are brainstorming solutions so as to come up with one that's realistic and mutually satisfactory. So by your words, I want to make sure that we're clear. It's not just the parent trying to come up with ideas. It's the kid, too. And the definition of a good idea is not necessarily one that the kid will accept, per se, but one that addresses the kid's concerns, and he feels that it does, and one that addresses the adult's concerns, and they feel that it does, and one that the kid feels he's actually able to do, and one that the adult feels that they're able to do. That's the realistic and mutually satisfactory part. Um, Do I think that adults need to get their concerns on the table to make that happen? Absolutely, because if the adults don't have their concerns on the table, it's going to be hard for the uh, brainstorming phase of Plan B to make sure that they get addressed. I, uh, I want to thank you for your call. I need to move on to another caller. My goodness, we have a, that was a call from Israel. Thank you for calling in. But I'm going to move on to our next caller now, just so we make sure that uh, we have everybody uh, joining in who wants to. Area code 970, you're now on the air. Welcome. Hello, Dr. Green. Um, this just is make Lisa sure you Stroyan don't use any names parenting. or identifying information. I won't. I won't. I won't say anything personal. How about that? Um, that this is Lisa from um, Parenting for Humanity, and Hi, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to congratulate you first of all on your first successful se- season, and and say thanks because I think this is really important work that you're doing. Just for and those who are not familiar. Lisa does a program called Parenting for Humanity, also on Blog Talk Radio, and she was absolutely instrumental in um, making this program happen, and she has the patience of a saint because she was dealing, and I'm talking about me now, with somebody who is technologically virtually phobic, but uh, she walked us through it and she made it happen. So, Lisa, you get a lot of credit for this first season as well. Well, thanks, and I, I, I don't know as I agree with your characterization of yourself, but that's a different day. <laughs> I think you've come a long ways. I think you do great. Um, so it's funny. I'm not trying to gang up on you, honest. Um, it's great hearing Alan's voice because I know him from some message boards. Um, but I also have a comment um, just for you to, to, to give me any feedback you have. Um, so, you know, in the last couple of years, you've really made a switch to proactive Plan B. Yes. And that that's what solves problems um, and, you know, long-term, durably. Um, but I feel like, and maybe this is defensiveness on my part since I um, primarily learned Plan B pro, um, emergently. That's how we pretty much used it for a long time. Um, but I find that I think there are two different purposes, and I, and I would like to encourage you to, to somehow separate them so that emergency plan B doesn't get overlooked in its, in its usefulness. Because the way I see it, proactive B is the only way where you're solving big picture problems. Because when emotions are high, there's no learning, there's a lot of research on the brain that, you know, you're in the reactive part of the brain and it's just not going to, there's not going to be a lot of long-term stuff. But we found emergency plan B incredibly helpful for helping kids downshift, as you described it in the first book, um, learn skills of emotional regulation, learn to step back and take a breath. And it's interesting because you've been saying, 
you know, how you've misnamed empathy. But when you're using it emergently, it really is empathy, just to try to help the kid reconnect. Um, and so I see it as two very different and very valuable tools. One where you're helping kids calm and, you know, I kind of see this like fighting fires. And it would be pointless if you were always fighting fires and never doing anything to prevent them. But when there is a fire, you have to have the tools or it takes over and it really takes over your life. Um, so I see that as the emergency plan B is kind of like your fire extinguisher. It's a way to calm things down, reconnect with your kid, find out what's going on with them, help them find out what's going on with them so that you aren't caught up in this endless loop of emotion and meltdowns and anger and, um, you know, trying to um, basically feel like you're ended, at the end of your rope. And then there's the second part, which is then that allows you to actually start solving problems, um, which teaches, in my mind, somewhat of a completely different skill set because they're not going to be learning, con you know, um, perspective taking as much or um, thinking through all the possibilities when they're in this emotional storm. But I think those skills are important too. Well, and I appreciate Any the thoughts? feedback. What's that? Any thoughts? I appreciate the feedback. Um, it's something obviously I've given an enormous amount of thought to. But it really traces back to what I find works for people. And of course, emergency plan B is not against the law. And it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting issue. Um, but what I've found is that um, when I was uh, treating them as equals, and I know that's not what you're saying. You're saying basically that they could be seen as two separate tools. And I don't think that's a, that's a bad way to see them. But when emergency and proactive plan B were both viable, let, let's say I was treating them as equally viable options, uh -huh. what I found is that people tended to make almost exclusive use of emergency plan B um, and neglected proactive, proactive plan B badly. And so, but what I found was really working for people, and quite frankly, Making exclusive, as you were saying, making exclusive use of emergency plan B is not going to be a long-term strategy because the unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging behavior tend not to get solved with emergency plan B. They tend to get right. solved with proactive plan B. So what I started finding over time increasingly was that I was being far more helpful to the families that I was working with and the educators that I was working with by placing a much stronger emphasis on proactive plan B because solving problems durably, as you were saying, and I wouldn't necessarily just refer to those as sort of the big ticket problems, but even little ticket problems. I was finding even little ticket problems, um, whatever that means, quite frankly, because I'm not sure that I think in terms of big ticket or little ticket. I've seen many things that people thought were sort of minor issues set in motion, you know, really horrendous, explosive episodes. Um, you know, and, sure. and by the way, I want to encourage people to call in on this. But I found that because um, it's an interesting topic and a good discussion point. Um, what I found is that for me to be maximally helpful to people, um, I really needed to get them doing 
almost exclusively proactive plan B because that took away the, any necessity for emergency plan B to begin with because the problems that they were frequently perpetually applying emergency plan B to were now getting mm -hmm. solved proactively. And what they found was the more proactive they were, the need for emergency plan B actually started sort of fading away. And so that's what has driven, um, and plus, not just in families, but in schools with 25 kids in a school classroom, emergency plan B is not an ideal play. Proactive plan True. B is. No, um, I, let me ask you a question, though. Sure. Because you say that if you're doing proactive plan B, the problem goes away. But, you know, we all have huge lists of unsolved problems. Yes. And you can only proactively deal with the big ones. So, you know, if you've picked teeth brushing and there's a meltdown over the sandwich being cut the wrong way, you have to have a tool to deal with that. You need to have some way to say, oh, okay, you really didn't like that. I cut your sandwiches the wrong way. You really wanted it whole. You know, what should we do about that? Well, and, and to the truth, let's say that cutting sandwiches the wrong way is a perpetual problem. There, there's, and by the way, I'm, in no way am I saying that emergency plan B is not an option. It's just not the preferred option, especially if proactive plan B is an option as well. And it's true. Uh -huh. You can only work on so many unsolved problems proactively at once. But I will say this. Um, if you want to understand the cutting the sandwich the wrong way problem, and if you want to uh, solve it durably, that is much more likely still, even though you're giving an example of using it emergently, if you want to solve it durably, it's much more likely to be a proactive plan B activity. But now let's go back to cutting the sandwich the wrong way. Um, in the example you gave, I guess my question would be, are we really doing collaborative problem solving at that moment, or are we bordering closer to plan C at that moment? Because here's what I found. Kids who, once they're already upset, we don't get the kind of information we need that we would get when we were doing this proactively. We often don't get the information that we need to really understand the cutting the sandwich the wrong way problem in the first place. And so it's unlikely that that problem is going to be durably solved. Now, that, that doesn't bother me so much, especially if we get through it without, you know, knives being thrown and without people getting hit and without there being a massive uproar. That, that still wouldn't trouble me greatly. Um, mm -hmm. But to what degree it's really plan B and to what degree it's merging closer to plan C, in which case it would sound like this, ah, I cut your sandwich the wrong way. Let me have a good sense about what way you wanted the sandwich to be cut, and I'll cut it that way. Now, that, that would actually be more plan C, emergency plan C. I have no problem with that either. Not necessarily right. emergency plan B because we aren't really learning much in that scenario about what's really going on with the kid. So that's an important technical issue as well. Are we doing – is this really emergency plan B we're doing or is this emergency plan C that we're doing? Yeah, I guess my point is that I, I feel like they're the – that you could spend a little more time in the radio shows on helping people with the the daily. So maybe put it in plan C. That's okay. But I think that empathy step is very important in the moment. And it may not be empathy when it's used proactively, 
as much as it is drilling for information. But in the daily moments, the empathy step was my lifesaver. Um, and for a lot of people I know as well. Just that, and so I, I guess I would argue a little bit that it is plan B because you're teaching skills. And, you know, the, you were saying, um, I've read that plan C is not really teaching skills, it's just letting it go. And I do see it as teaching skills to sit and talk about the sandwich. Now, what I find is that a lot of this comes up, the reason I picked the sandwich example is because I've never really seen that be a long-term problem in itself. It's always um, a symptom of other things going on. Um, so I could be wrong. Maybe there are kids no, that really it's a big problem. My attitude is there's no right or wrong. There's just what's working for people. Yeah, I think that, yeah. Um, I think that you were doing collaborative problem solving perhaps when there wasn't such a strong emphasis on proactive plan B. And oh, absolutely. So in some respects, I would say you learned the hard way, and I'm ecstatic that you found it to be beneficial. But I guess my attitude is, geez, I wonder if there was a way to make that even easier for Lisa. Um, and that's, yeah. the, that's, that's been what's driving this, is if I can help people – here's the other thing that happened. And by no means am I – I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I'm just saying um, what experience has taught me over time is that People, people. Here's some of the things that I heard when people were doing lots of emergency Plan B. They would say, you know, I can't do Plan B all the time over everything. And they would say, my God, there's such an overwhelming number of problems. I'm supposed to do Plan B emergently on all of these. And so the right. move toward a more proactive approach was an effort to sort of number one, organize the effort, have people really give thought. And this is a major part of collaborative problem solving these days really give thought to, and sometimes when emergency plan B is more of an option, I find also that people are giving less thought to what are the reliable and predictable unsolved problems that we could be busy working on that uh, would help us organize the effort, help us know that there really are a finite number of problems that are getting in our way, and help us organize the effort in starting to work on them two or three at a time doesn't rule out emergency plan B. It just tries to address some of the difficulties that were getting in the way for people when emergency plan B was what they were predominantly doing. So not yeah. an argument, yeah. not, a, not necessarily even a disagreement. Um, I guess my question is, I wonder if we could have made this a little easier for you if we had you doing less emergency plan B and more proactive plan B. And that's, you know, that's. I think it's a fascinating discussion point to tell you the truth, and not one that we've actually. Oh, absolutely, about and before. I, I think it, I think it absolutely would have been helpful because, um, you know, the whole "don't be a genius" thing is pretty new, and that's, that's really hit home for me. So what I would do is emergency plan B followed by personal creativity that solved the problem. And, 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 it, and it works in a large variety of cases. So, for example, you have a meltdown over teeth brushing, and you get through it, and you are empathic, and you calm everybody down, and you agree on the solution for that night, which is, okay, how about tonight you use, you know, mouthwash or whatever. And then I would go and brainstorm a bunch of other options that would meet the need, but wouldn't teach the skills in the same way. Um, and so that was what really is missing is that that teaching of, of the skills of being part of the solution, 
Um, and I think that's really valuable. I just would like you to encourage the empathy in the day-to-day -day rather than dismissing it. Because, I mean, I've noticed, for example, in your recent shows, you're always starting off with empathy for the callers. You know, I know this is really hard. And I think that's a really key component. So I guess my point is don't give empathy a short thrift. And okay. uh, thanks and for I, what I you're doing. It's very important. I think it's a great point, and I want to thank you again for your help with making this possible. And um, I hope to hear from you again during the program next year. All right. Well, that sounds good. And I hope people will check out. We're still going to do a couple shows during the summer. So we're at blogtalkradio.com slash parenting. And when, they, when you're offline, they'll have something else they can turn to. Outstanding. Thanks. Talk Take to you care. later. Bye-bye. So we've had a caller who's been standing by for a while but hasn't raised their hands. It looks like it's area code 972. So I'm going to bring you on the air here, although I don't know if you actually want to be on the air. Uh, area code 972, did you want to be on the air? Uh, I've spoken to you already. I'm just listening on the phone. I got cut off. But just, I just wanted to make one point. Yes. But we spoke about concerns. I think it's quite a, quite a it's quite sophisticated thinking for a person to to think about concerns, even for an adult. And I think this has got to be taught to using examples. I think talking about other people's problems and world problems and other kids or animals, and and talking about their concerns and and the, and and solutions, you know, shows the kid. The difference between a solution and a, and, a, and a concern, and I think a kid has got to appreciate that difference between a concern and solution before he can actually do the process. Well, I think that um, the word concerns does throw some people for a loop. There's no no question about it. Um, I I personally don't tend to use the word concerns with a kid. As you know, um, what I'm more likely to say is what's up. And I find that okay. Um, okay. I find that kids. So it's not too common for me to look at a kid and say, "What are your concerns about that?" Because it can be a little bit of a confusing term. Not only, as you mentioned, not only for kids but also for adults. Um, and uh, so the goal is just to figure out what what's up. What's what's the kid thinking on this issue? Why? What's getting in the way on teeth brushing? So. If I find that if I don't use the word concerns with the kid, it's more of an abstract term that's more for adult consumption so that they know that what we're trying to figure out is what's going on in the kid's head? Where's, where's he coming from on this? Uh, what's his take on it? I would say that's what we're referring to with concerns. And, but I find that what's up, um, because it's part of the common language, um, you know, and there's lots of different ways to say it. There's sup, there's what's up. Um, it, it's sort of a casual way of asking a kid, what's getting in the way? Tell me what you're thinking on that. Um, uh, what's troubling you? Yeah, what's and behind so, it? What, what, or so what's, what's behind it? I, I would say that what's behind it is a little bit more of a step in the yeah. abstract direction. We're just trying to figure out what's bugging the kid. That's another way of putting it. Uh, what's getting in your way on that? Um, and so to tell you the truth, often kids don't even know that the word concerns exist. It's it's sort of the word that I use to help adults understand what we're trying to get at, but I'm not sure that the kids know that that's the word that we're using. They're, they're, they should be much better acquainted with the term, what's up? Because the brilliance of, this, of the process is the, the difference between concerns and solutions, and that's where everything rests. And 
when the kid starts to appreciate like that, we you got to take a step back from the solution and see see what the concern is. You know, that's when we can start moving. Well, that's exactly right, and I can't tell you how often. Like I was doing a talk last night um, in one of the towns locally, and at the very end of the talk, a father raised his hand and he said, um, "I want my son to do his homework, but I don't want to cave, and I don't want to bribe him." I said, "Good, don't cave, don't bribe him." Then how am I going to get him to do his homework? He asked. My answer was. Um, well, if we don't know what his concern or perspective was on why he's having trouble getting his homework done, then we're never going to be able to solve that problem. So good, don't cave, because collaborative problem solving isn't about caving. And don't bribe, because collaborative problem solving isn't about bribing. But to solve the problem, we need to know what your kids, what's getting in your kid's way, that's another way of putting it, on the homework. And we need to understand what your concern is about the homework not getting done. And then the stage is set for us to actually come up with a good solution. So, Alan, I'm going to ask you to hang on because we do have another caller, and I want to make sure we get to them. Hang on, and if we have time, I'll come back to you. That's okay? Okay, fine. Thank you very much. You bet. Let me see if this other caller, this person doesn't have their hand raised either, but I'm going to bring them on the air. They're from area code 508. Do you want to make a comment? Area code 508? Hello? Hello? Yes? Did, did you want, have something that you wanted to say? I was just listening. Just listening? Yes. Got it. <laughs> Some people call and just listen. That's a perfectly fine way to listen to the program. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, let you keep listening. Sound okay. good? Okay. <laughs> and let's go back to Alan. A- Alan, any other comments or uh, questions that you okay, have? Okay, just comments. Okay, I, my kids are in their uh, teens, 20s already. So I generally like participate in parenting forums. The one thing that I always talk about is that parents have got to improve their ability to keep a conversation going. You know, to you know, the drilling part, uh, can you tell me more? I hear you, you know, you know use sort of buffering, um, buffers like uh, uh, if I was in your shoes, I'd feel that way. You know, can, can you tell me more? Um, so sort of keep, keeping a conversation going, you know, what, what would happen if you did that? You know, just to once we keep a conversation going, then we, we, we can go places. And a lot of parents have that difficulty in keeping a conversation going. Another important point I always talk about is like talking about general things, you know, general chatting about other people's problems and other kids' problems and using those examples of, uh, of collaborative problem solving. Because we, 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 most of the problems that we deal with are very emotive, and it's, even if you're doing it in a sort of proactive way, there's quite a lot of motion go, going into it. But when you talk about other people's problems and you sort of do it with a bit of visualization and sort of seeing it on the screen, you know, we, it's much easier to teach the process. So once they understand the process and they're dealing with their own problems, it's much easier to do the process. Well, you've just, in your first point, you've just hit on what I would call the hardest part of doing Plan B, and it's the drilling for information part. And um, what I've been busy doing is trying to beef up that part and really give people some guidance on what it's supposed to look like. 
um, and how to keep the conversation going, in your words, um, but not just for the purpose of keeping the conversation going, of course, but for achieving an increasingly clearer understanding of what the kid's concern or perspective is on a given unsolved problem. Um, and there are, I'm, I'm starting to put some stuff out there that's much clearer for folks about things they can say when they're drilling for information and, you know, uh, what they could be asking that are sort of a guidepost for keeping it going. And soon I will be posting a, the, what, I'm gonna, what I've called the Plan B Cheat Sheet on the Lives in the Balance website uh, that really provides people with very explicit information. I've, I've just been in the midst of, uh, well, I've been so busy that I haven't been able to get it up there yet, but I'm assuming that in the next week or so, I know I've been saying that for a couple of weeks now, but in the next week or so, um, we should have that Plan B Cheat Sheet up there, and um, hopefully it will help people out even further. One thing I always talk about is that one should always try and end what you're speaking about with a question. So even if you've given an explanation, try end it off with a question, and that sort of helps keep the conversation going. That's a tip you get from sales. Always end off with a question. So when a kid's talking with a parent, even though he's given an answer, sort of say what you say and try to find a question which will... It's all about asking questions. The whole, the whole process, the ability for the kid to ask questions, you to ask questions. That's the power of questions. That's what it's all about. That's what I believe. I like it. Um, hmm. I need to end the program for today. Yeah, I also do, Mark. Thanks kid has been training. I hope you'll okay. do it more next year when we start up again. Yeah, fine. Uh, thank you. I'm calling from Israel, and I re really appreciate all you've done. Thank you very Thanks. much. And, um, okay. Nice to know that um, I'm actually being heard in Israel, too. That's kind of cool, and that... Um, collaborative problem solving is being done in Israel. Um, you know, there was one email that I wanted to get to. Um, it's similar to something that we just talked about. Uh, here's, here's an email from somebody who um, sounds like she's pretty desperate. I have a daughter who's been diagnosed with depression and anxiety. She has a history of not going to school since third grade. She's now in the ninth grade and is already behind a half year. We recently switched schools because the previous school took her off an IEP she was on for six years. She is bright and has scored high on cognitive testing. She's getting so far behind in school, she may have to repeat a grade. We have been through this with my older son, but at 16, and at 16 the school told him he was old enough to drop out. He did. But he took the GED and passed it with the, at the 93rd percentile with very little class time, attended the two previous years. I would like my daughter to graduate, but it looks like she's going down the same path. I feel like a piece of the puzzle is missing for my two children. No one can figure it out. They have medication, counseling, and numerous other supports, but the behavior and other problems are still there and haven't changed. I have a middle son that gets to school every day and has been on the honor roll all year. He was never diagnosed with anything or learning problems and is doing fine. I want to try to convince the school that it isn't our parenting style. Uh, I don't quite understand this part of the email. Um, I want to convince the school that it isn't our parenting style. Well, the fact that you have a son who's doing just fine suggests that it's probably not your parenting style. But here's what I'm wondering, and this goes to the heart of something we've been talking about a little bit today. If we don't know what's getting in the way for a kid, we won't be able to solve the problem. If we don't know what the kid's concern or perspective on why she's having difficulty getting to school, we won't be able to address those concerns and those perspectives. 
in many of the kids that I work with, whether they're in schools or families or other facilities, I find that people have been trying to fix problems that they didn't know enough about to fix in the first place. And that finally, at long last, when we get a really good sense of what's been getting in the kids' way, and, and many of them have kids on medicine. Of course, medicine doesn't help us understand what's getting in the kids' way. And sometimes they've had long histories of involvement with mental health professionals, but sometimes they didn't figure out what was getting in the way. It's when you finally figure out what the kids' concern or perspective is in the empathy step that you finally start working towards solving the problems. And that, of course, is collaborative problem solving. Thanks to all of you who have been listening in uh, since this program started this year. Don't worry, you'll get a tweeter reminder of when we're starting up again in September. And the details will be on the Lives in the Balance website anyway. Have a great summer. Talk to you in the fall.